Welcome to the podcast, priest, brother, and you. Glad that you're joining us. Um, this is a podcast where we talk about your deepest questions from life on campus. My name is Father Jake, here with Brother Matthew. we got a great show for you. we got a great student with us, Nathan Bixby. Uh, Brother Matthew. Hey, y'all. Brother Matthew here. Nathan, welcome to this podcast. Nathan is a senior studying mathematics of the actuarial sort. Can you justify that decision, Nathan? Uh, I believe I can. Uh, after this podcast, when we talk about the meaning of existence, I'll hopefully have a better answer, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me this, Nathan. What what originally drew you to mathematics in general? Hmm. I would say I've always had an interest in the logic aspect of it because, I don't know, I like rationality and reason and stuff like that. And then I was always pretty solid at it, so why not continue in that route? So it's been been good to me so far. I enjoy it still. So, Well, great to have you on the podcast today. Like you mentioned, you told us you want to talk about the meaning of life. Does it get more comprehensive than that? Um, I mean, yeah, like the big thing I really want to get into is I feel like I have a pretty good grasp of what our view of the meaning of our lives is. My thing would be like, what does that look like in practice? So, but I think answering the first question of like, what is our purpose? And then going from there to as to what that looks like in practice is what I really want to get at. And can I ask just a follow-up question, Nathan, when you think about the meaning of life in practice, what are some examples you see out there where you think, well, there's a meaning of life at work, but but people aren't living in a way which which accords with the meaning of life they have for themselves. Yeah, I mean, so I think the big thing would be just as a Catholic, I'd say like the meaning of my existence would to be become in union with God. Now, maybe that's wrong. That's why I'm asking you guys that question. But I'd say <laughs> that that's my purpose. But then why, what is the point? Like, why would I do homework then? Like, does that really... Why shouldn't I just go to an extreme end and just like go in a monastery and pray 20 hours a day? Like, is that actually what I should be doing? Or is there a purpose to doing homework? And does that fulfill like the like my greater purpose in life, you know? So you're trying to get out of homework. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to send this <laughs> to my professors uh, and say, you know, uh, re- uh, it's my religious obligation to no longer do my homework. So that's kind of the hope in the end. <laughs> You figured me out. So. Well, now now that we know what your true motives are, maybe we can we can look at the question. Yeah, I think if ever there was a topic that would be worthwhile, it would be this one. In part because we often, I don't know, we can joke about it if it comes up in conversation, like oh, the meaning of life question. Um, but it's like the big question that everyone maybe even jokes about, but not as many people actually talk about. Um, if you wouldn't mind, um, Nathan, just, uh, I mean, like, let's, let's not assume anything. Um, when you talk about like, as, as, as Christians, as Catholics, like our meaning is, is to, to live in union with God. Um, let's even just open that up a little bit, because I think depending on opening that up, it will help navigate the waters of your second part of the question, which is what does that look like in practice? Um, so maybe just a few things on this. Like, let's let's open this up because that's a huge statement you just said, uh, to live in union with God. Uh, maybe to put it even in a more straightforward way, like 
might sound super simple, but if somebody has grown up with like the Baltimore Catechism, uh, what for Christians for many years just grew up uh, repeating <laughs> and, and coming to know, they'd say like, the purpose of life is is this, to know, love, and serve God in this life so as to be happy with him in the next. To know, love, and serve God in this life so as to be happy or blessed with him in the next. But let's even just open up that a little bit. Because uh, again, it just sounds like it's Catholics like, oh yeah, no love and serve God. It's like almost like a throwaway, dare I say, cliche line that should be like on the like a, a parish's mission statement that nobody thinks about, you know? <laughs> let's get on to more important things. Well, actually, let's stop right there. Let's stop traffic. Um, to, to know God, the per, only the human person is capable of knowing God. No other creature, no other plant or animal or created thing is equivalent to the human person. So um, I want to give Brother Matthew a chance to jump in here, but a few things on this, because this is really key, really, really, really key, uh, where we say the person, uh, we can tell a lot from our origin, and that also tells us something about our destiny, what we're for. So not to sound too philosophical here, but when we talk about our origin in Christian Catholicism, we say this little phrase that we hear very often, that it goes right over the heads of people. We say that the human person is made in the image and likeness of God or in Latin, imago dei, image and likeness of God. Well, what in the world does that mean? It means that we have an intellect, we have a will, and we have an ability to enter into communion. There's other things too, but those would be three uh, of the most basic ones. We have an intellect, which means we can come to know truth. That's why there's a university system. If you didn't have an intellect that was made for truth, how could you learn anything? How could you study mathematics? So there must be something known as truth, and that's the intellect. You don't have school for dogs, uh, school for goldfish. You have schools for humans. We have an intellect. But that's not alone. We're not just brains in a vat. We, made in the image and likeness of God, we have an intellect, and we have a will, that which can choose, that which can love. Love is a choice. It's not a feeling. So we have an intellect, and we have a will. We can, that's why we have laws. <laughs> we have freedoms to choose good or evil. And then we're, we have an ability to enter into communion. Even Aristotle knew this. He said, man is a social animal. Uh, we, we crave communion. We crave to be known by people. Uh, that's why AI or artificial intelligence, it will never do what a human person can do. Uh, we're not just reading brains. We want to enter into faces, uh, countenances, conversations. And that's our origin. We're made in the image and likeness of God with at least those three things. And that origin tells us about our destiny, where we should be going. So a little hint on the second part of your question there, uh, doing your schoolwork <laughs> actually is exercising your image and likeness of God. It's your intellect. We're made for truth. It's not divorced from being in union with God. It's actually something very integral to it. <laughs> so I'll stop there. But uh, Brother Matthew, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts. I would only, only summarize the that Father Jake, having cited the Baltimore Catechism, it appears also in, in the first paragraph of the modern catechism, which says that God, infinitely perfect and blessed in himself, in a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man to make him share in his own blessed life. In short, God created man to make him share in his own blessed life. 
God created man for God's life in this life and in the next. So Nathan, I, I'm guessing that Father Jake's answer and, and my own, though true, it doesn't quite satisfy what you're thinking here because mathematics or doing homework, at least it's not a direct way of coming into union with God. Yeah, yeah, I would say it's interesting. So I uh, have read famous book by Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. And in the book, amazing book, so everyone should read it. But in the book, he talks about how 25 to 60% of his students view believe that their lives are have no like real meaning to it. And throughout the book, he obviously talks about how it was how he him finding meaning in life is what helped him get through the Holocaust. Otherwise, if there was no meaning to the suffering, there was no way he could have gotten through that. So with that being the case with us students, I think one struggle is, yeah, it seems like homework or a lot of things are just very trivial, which I mean, to an extent they are, but then again, like, yeah, is it is the purpose of us just doing these things is is the purpose that, hey, it's discovering truth, it's exercising our intellect, therefore, it's that's in and of itself a good thing. And it doesn't have to necessarily be related to doing good in the world. Is that kind of what you guys are getting at? Like exercise, like, for example, like me playing basketball and practicing and doing my best and trying to get better with that. It, would that fall under the category of doing good because it's exercising my free will and um, something like that? But in the end, like it's not really externally bringing me closer to God, you know? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and here's something I would say to that, Nathan. This is a, I'm just loving already this conversation and, and what we can do with this because it opens up so many things about how to see life it, itself, but also our faith. And so for a lot of those things you're mentioning, um, they're not true ends in themselves in a sense, like that's the problem sometimes when we make something like basketball an end in itself, we live for basketball. It's like, well, basketball is great. I love playing basketball, but it's not the reason for life, <laughs> but it can serve the reason of life. In other words, to go back to like your homework thing, a great question to ask is, what can this activity serve? Usually it's ordered to something greater than itself. So you're not just studying mathematics in a vacuum. What drew you to mathematics was like the creativity. I can be, I can actually use this for something even greater than itself. Think about like a little, maybe an example like this way. You remember the movie Karate Kid? And Karate Kid, you know, <laughs> it's that great scene um, where he's just learned, he, he wants to learn how to, he wants to learn this art of karate. And he goes to the master and his master doesn't start teaching him karate or so he thought. He has him waxing his car. It's like wax on, wax off. He's like, this is ridiculous. Why am I doing this? And in the moment when he's just like looking at it itself, waxing on, waxing off, it looks really pathetic. Like, what am I doing with my life? Little did he know that in the, in the wisdom of the master who was training him, it was going to serve something greater than itself. Those were the, the initial principles or underpinnings that allowed him to start doing things greater than that. 
uh, without which you couldn't really move forward. So it's actually like you going through seventh grade made possible 12th grade. And it wasn't just you going through college now is paving the way for you to get your doctorate necessarily, but what you can do with that to serve something even greater, often which in the mind of our, without being in the mind of God, we don't often know what it's going to serve. But God will often put things into our life that if we're seeking excellence in them, to do them well, if we're following his plan, they will begin to serve things that we never knew uh, in our life. So let me try to review here. So Nathan, we're saying that the, the end of human life is union with God. But when we ask questions about what means, then we have to look at the nature of the human person. And let me say it like this. A key part of our nature as human beings is that we are relational creatures. And that means at least three things that I can think of. One, one part of being a relational creature is that we are dependent on one another for our existence. Everyone has a mother and a father. So we're, we're, dependent, on other, we're dependent on one another existentially. Number two is that we're dependent on others educationally. We grow up in a family life which is intended to foster our formation, and we simply can't survive without that. And then three, we are dependent on one another's economically. Aristotle, as Father Jake said, and many of his contemporaries, they observed that man needs to be in a society in order to flourish. And even today, if you live without any human contact whatsoever, meaning you never encounter a person nor the goods created by person, if you are totally economically independent of all other human beings, you will live in most likely abject poverty if you can even survive. There's something about us as as people that we need community. So therefore, we can say, based on the nature of what it means to be human, the nature of humanity, number one, marriage is good. If only because, and for other reasons, but if only because it produces people. Number two, family life is good. If only because it it provides the proper context for, for people to flourish. And number three, economy and society is good but here's what the gospel brings into this okay those are those are goods based on what we observe in the natural order the gospel says the meaning of life is union with god so then we see these goods such as marriage and family life and society we see that they're means not ends so we can say therefore as christians marriage is good but it's not an end It's intended to produce children for the kingdom of God, and it's intended to facilitate the sanctification of the couple for the kingdom of God. Another example, secular work is good. Work in an economy is good, but it's not an end. It's intended to facilitate the perpetuation of family life. It's intended to provide resources for those in need, for their flourishing, ultimately, for their union with God. It's intended to... to provide financial resources for evangelization. So the gospel doesn't, doesn't mean that those things are no longer good, those things by nature, but it means they're, they're part of something bigger, and that's the end of union with God. And that's where I think homework fits into this. Yeah, 
Yeah, that that really, really, really answered my question like super well. It exceeded my expectations. Would you get now? This is like not really an. I don't know. It's just kind of a thought exercise in a way. Um, so I've kind of thought that maybe like a lot of the sort of like existential crises that people have nowadays would be, and I don't know what people were like in 1800. Maybe they had the same thoughts. I mean, there are a lot of philosophers from back then who wrote about these things, but I kind of wonder if a lot of that is because nowadays our work is not necessary necessary for survival per se. So like 200 years ago, if you didn't work, if you didn't do anything, you would, you would die. Like you, there'd be nothing. So your purpose was super clear to you. And now because we're just such a successful society in general, and we've had a lot of our suffering reduced, it's a lot harder to find like what we need to do because we're no longer like struggling for survival. So nowadays, obviously, we have things a lot better. So do you think that the fact that we no longer have like existential threats all the time towards us, like we have a pandemic going on right now, but like for someone like me, thankfully, that's not an imminent existential threat to me, the same as a saber-toothed tiger was. So do you think that contributes to some of sort of people nowadays kind of like walking through life, like the walking dead and like. Do you think that the only real solution to that is to really like, as you guys have been talking about, like to cut, try to, to see like our greater end is to be in union with God and that everything else, then we can begin to find meaning in our life. Yeah. It's, it's a really good question that has a lot of com- complexities to it or a lot of dimensions to it. A lot of different directions we could take this. Um, but yeah, I think with, with, modern technology and modern science and just living in the 21st century where we don't have a lot of those threats uh, and we've accomplished so much that really facilitates not just survival, but uh, and, and for many people, at least in the, in the first world, uh, an ease of existence. You don't have to worry about a lot of immediacies to, uh, to your life. You know, you have an average lifespan in your 80s versus your 20s. Um, and so with that, I think it's all the more important to talk about the, the the meaning and reason for life because so many people have lost it suicide rates skyrocketing etc and so in other words a lot of people have lost um, sight of our transcendent dimension of the of the human person in other words there's just a lot of practical atheism out there like this world is it once you die that's it and there, there's no sense of transcendence there's no acknowledgement that that we have a soul there's no acknowledgement that there is a, a life that is far greater and far more well transcendent than just the here and now and what we can see and feel and touch and because of that when you've accomplished everything it's like a midlife crisis but you can experience it at any given point in your life like what's the point i have like an i've gone through maslow's hierarchy of needs and i'm no longer just providing food and shelter and I'm like, well, is this it? Is there anything else? And without God really being at the forefront, it's extremely easy to fall victim to uh, my life is all about accomplishing things. So on the whole, Nathan, I think, therefore, we would we would agree with your thesis. There's a lot of complexities in there. Uh, maybe one simple aspect of it is that when we 
encounter the possibility of death with regularity, as would have been more common in past ages, then it it drives us to think about the actual meaning of things. When suddenly I, I come face to face with the with that my existence might have an end as I know it, well, well, hopefully I'm going to start thinking about meaning beyond beyond my existence here. I think something else, too, about simpler ages, it was easier to, I don't want to say that past ages were easier in general to come to know God, but I think past ages each have their own difficulty, as does ours. I think one advantage of past ages, however, was that was that because life was simple, it was more clear that what I do contributes to the health and well-being of others. If I do not bring in an income, then my family is going to starve. And now that's that's true in many ways today, but I think especially on a college campus, we're insulated from from how real that is. And so I think that helps us give us, at least in past ages, but even today, that gives us meaning because it's it's oriented towards others. But again, that's all situated to in, in this larger context of what are others for? They're for union with the Lord themselves. They're not merely to survive. My purpose is not to exist and to survive, but rather it's to be in union with God. Yeah, Nathan, how, how's this tracking with you? Like you can obviously you're always honest, but like be honest, like it's this like this is a big question. Is this is this helping? Does it raise more questions? No, I, I actually I, it is really satisfying. No, yeah, it's satisfying a lot of my questions. So. I guess with that, I, I kind of feel like a lot of people would not, they don't like to talk about like what everything means or, you know, like Father Jake was saying earlier, it's kind of brought up in jest, like, oh, what's the meaning of life? And it's kind of a cliche question, but <laughs> it, it does matter. So I, with that, I, how could, I, I, in my opinion, I think the church has something special to offer in obviously many ways like salvation, but in this way on earth, I think sort of going into that and talking and we can go to a secular person kind of going, if we can awaken people to, Hey, like this existence is short. And like, do you want to try to find a meaning to this life? And just sort of awakening people to that. To me, it seems like a way that we could, uh, like bring more people into the church and like have them see the goodness in it. So like in a practical sense, how could we do that? Like brother Matthew brought up, like seeing death makes it, it awakens us. So like, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to go up to people on the street be like, you're going to die soon. So wake up. Maybe that is the way to do it. But like, what do you guys think? Um, yeah. So there's a number of different things, even a great place to even look at a philosophical level is um, Joseph Pieper. Uh, who was a philosopher, a German philosopher at the time of the, around World War II. And he wrote uh, a number of things about how to wake people up. <laughs> uh, death being one of them, uh, but another just being philosophy, just asking the questions that we're asking right now. Uh, another thing was living, active, heartfelt charity. And when people see that, they're like, whoa, like, they're not just living for themselves. They're not living selfishly, but selflessly and, uh, and awaken something. Another one he mentioned was beauty. Like there's something that happens when, I mean, think about what happened with you. Like you, you know, the people that went to Alaska and like it created a bond for people up there. They, they saw the beauty of serving the poor. They saw the beauty of a sunset. 
of the mountains, and it, it beckoned them out of their small little world. They saw the beauty of community. Um, another thing that, I mean, it might seem like such an obvious thing, but it's, it's everything that we're circling around. Ultimately, the only thing or the greatest thing that will wake people up, uh, not just to death, but to life, is the encounter with Jesus. I mean, again, it <laughs> sounds almost cliche. You'd expect a priest to say that. Um, but, but it's true. I mean, think about what happened in the, in the very beginning of John's gospel, where Andrew uh, and his brother, uh, J- James and John, were running after Jesus. And he turned to them and said, what are you looking for? And they said, Master, we, we want to stay with you. And then he said, come and see. And then the gospel writer John says, and so they did. They stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. As if, and even as I'm speaking, that's like my hair is raising on my arms. Um, it's like as if they, they found something that was worth living and giving up everything for. To such an extent that they knew and they remembered what time of day it was. It was four in the afternoon when we met the author of life who showed it, who like, who revealed something. <laughs> um, you know, the very first homily that Jesus ever gave uh, is in Luke chapter four, in which he was quoting Isaiah 61. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring glad tidings to the poor, uh, to set the captive free, to give sight to the blind. These aren't just physiological words like, oh, he's going to heal the blind. He's going to give a few more bucks to those that don't have any. Uh, No, the poor. I'd say the greatest poverty, and this echoes what Mother Teresa said about the 21st century when she came to America. She said the greatest poverty is not material poverty. It's spiritual poverty. The poverty of not having a why in life. That's what Jesus ultimately is coming to do. And, And when somebody encounters Jesus in Eucharistic adoration, uh, in the life of community, they, they, they're around people that love them. Uh, when they start to learn how to pray, when, they, when they're awake to grace, ultimately that's the ultimate awakening. <laughs> and so as, as a parish or as a church, really our whole purpose is just to facilitate the encounter with Jesus through community, through the sacraments, through a life of love. I mean, okay, I'm, I'll get off my stool here. You get the point. <laughs> Yeah, so we need to, Nathan, we therefore need to engage people on this level. We need to we need to raise with them, help them process what they think life means to them. And if they don't have that answer, continue to ask questions. Continue to ask questions with an eye towards what we believe is the only real answer to that question. It's found in Jesus. So just asking questions of people and helping them reason through their own their own current outlook. And helping them to see the deficiencies in it, ultimately. Deficiencies which only Jesus himself can, can account for. But then on the other hand, Nathan, I think that in the meantime, when we live fully in the power of the Holy Spirit, committed, committing our entire lives to Jesus and the work of his kingdom, then when people look at our lives, people who don't have a clear sense of meaning, they say that doesn't make sense. This person, Nathan's life, does not make sense to me, and therefore, perhaps something is missing in the way I've thought about things. Nathan, we should we should draw this podcast to a close here. Maybe a last question for you, though, as we talk about 
the meaning of life. I think each of us has gradually come to a deeper realization what that is in the Christian life. But I do recognize that it can be it can be jarring sometimes when we find ourselves on a certain course of life and then suddenly suddenly we realize, oh Jesus, you weren't in my life and now you are, and that that changes things. What has your own experience of that been and, and how have you worked through that? I guess it obviously, yeah, it's it's awakened me in a way to even want to ask this question and even wonder it. And then at the same time, it's really affected my life in that, like, given that I believe salvation is through Christ and he is really our all, well, then, like, I want to live a life towards that. So, like, what does that mean? And obviously, yeah, given my now, like, relationship with Christ, my, I think, one of the goals of my life has really changed has been to now like, okay, now I want to pray because I mean, Jesus has given me life. He's the only thing that can give me new life. He's the only one who can really change me. So I want to be in relationship with him and I want to be in relationship also with other people who are towards that same end. And so that has greatly impacted the people I wanted that I am around a lot of the times, the conversations I have, And then obviously, yeah, like, do I want to live a life that is very hedonistic, that is all about pleasure, feeling good? Or do I want to live a life that serves, that loves, and hopefully pushes other people towards God? So I, I mean, I wouldn't be here today, obviously. And I, if I didn't have an encounter with Christ and like really find something incredible in that, so it got me here too. So I, I don't know. Yeah. It's obviously, it impacts my life every day. Nathan, thanks for sharing that. I think, I think we can say that encountering Jesus in the way you have, it not only causes us to reevaluate everything, but in fact, it should, if it's, if we've had an authentic encounter with Christ, it should cause us to reevaluate everything we're doing. And maybe it doesn't, let me say it like this. It doesn't, necessarily mean that we need to change everything we've been doing but it does mean we need to reevaluate it and i can imagine i can imagine two different things happening when we reevaluate we might realize in the first case that there's some things that we're doing which already fit into god's plan i'm afraid nathan in your case this probably includes homework but it's kind of like this if you imagine if you imagine yourself building a puzzle and it's a, it's a thousand piece jigsaw. You dump out the pieces. And at first you, you begin to build it because you have nothing better to do. But as the image begins to assemble, you realize this puzzle has an overall design. There's an overall meaning here. That's the encounter with Christ. And suddenly, yeah, we're still, you might still be building the puzzle, but you're doing it for the sake of beauty in this case. And so suddenly you're building the puzzle still, but now with peace and with joy. And this is how St. Paul can say in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were when God called them. So Paul says, when we encounter Christ, we want to have a general disposition at least to continue doing the things we were doing. But we know from what Paul says, and it's certainly what Jesus says more broadly, that that's not the only way. And so there's a second thing. There's a second, second realization we might come to with regards to certain things in our life, and that's where 
when we realize that this thing in my life, because of my encounter with Jesus, needs to make a change. This is like when we're, when we're driving and suddenly we see on Google Maps on our phone that, that the, the endpoint is totally shifted and the phone was all in a glitch. And now, now we realize we're going the wrong direction and we have to turn around. Or in some cases, we realize that, well, I could keep going this direction, but there's an even better way. There's a more direct way. So in summary, our encounter with Christ, it doesn't change everything about our lives. It does change some things, but it causes us to reevaluate all of them and do them all as a byproduct with purpose and with joy. Yeah. Amen to that, brother. I agree. Um, that the reevaluating, or another word would be like reorienting. Like in other words, it's not like we have to go from zero to 60 or change everything. For some people, like it's actually not even changing a a lot of things, but it's a, it's a reorientation, almost like that's kind of like a term you might use with a compass. You know, sometimes you can be uh, very far from true north, and it takes a lot to reorient. Uh, sometimes you're not; you're off just by a few degrees, but by the encounter with the Lord, or by encountering something in life that awakens me, like we were talking about, it it redirects me or reorients me to true north. It gives me a decisiveness in life that I'm like, wow. Uh, I saw this this past week with um, a couple I was meeting with, and um, they, uh, you know, the, there are a couple that they were they had not been thinking about marriage, um, and then they had a child very unexpectedly. And the guy is a young guy, and he had been kind of living for video games and part time jobs. And when his little daughter was born, it awakened him. It's like, oh my goodness, <laughs> what am I doing with my life? And out of joy and out of love for his new, newfound daughter, they, they're looking to get married. He's looking to get a more full-time job. And he's like, I want to do whatever I can to serve this, this little human being. It awoke him to something. So that'd be like a, a reorientation. So in summary, we might say that the, the Christian life not only helps us to identify what's good and evil, but it, it helps us to see that certain goods are merely means, but there is one good God, which is the end. So Nathan, thanks for being with us today. Great having you on the podcast. Back back to the studies. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. This has been super fun and really like enlightening. Honestly, like it sorted all of my thoughts. Like I was like kind of piecing it together, but being a math person, I'm like, all right, each thing has to make exact sense. And you guys pieced it together very well. So thank you so much. Yeah. Nathan, great to have you on and yeah, keep doing the great work you're doing. Thanks all for listening. Hope you have a beautiful week.